All right. Welcome back, Rohit. I'm glad to be back. How long has it been since you were on the pod? About a year? Uh, probably a little more than a year ago. I think the last time I was here was probably 2018. We did that AI. We did that AI. AI, that was 2019. That was 2019. Yeah. It really? feels like it was two That's years long. ago, though, because <laughs> this whole thing, this whole year has just got us shook, which is an understatement. But <laughs> Rohit and I are trying something new. We are shaking things up. We're adding a new format to the podcast. Um, First, before we get into our topic or our guest, we're going to break down the pulp. I changed it to breaking down the pulp, by the way. It was breaking, breaking down the juice before, but I don't know, pulp sounds cooler. But what are your thoughts on that? Should we change it back to the juice or should we keep it with the pulp? Nah, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to break, to break down a juice. Right? Yeah, because like... juice is kind of already broken down, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Like, I was just sleeping and i was dreaming about this and i'm like wait that doesn't make sense why would i do that we're um, also breaking down the pulp well i'm thinking in terms of you mango. can you can break down pulp right yeah actually no that kind of you can filter out pulp. so how about filtering the pulp that see that just sounds weird now that's just strange um we'll <laughs> figure it out whatever you guys see on the bottom of the screen that is the title we have gone with but as of now at this moment we're just not sure but we'll figure it out. But again, we're going to be breaking down the pulp, I guess, or the juice. We'll see what we call it. But first 10 minutes dedicated to breaking stuff down, um, breaking down what's happened in the past month, and then we're going to get into our topic or our guest. And our topic um, is, well, the title of this podcast is The State of the Everything. So there's a lot to cover. (laughs) Rohit Barcello, this is Rohit Vaidula, but Rohit Barcello and I, will be uh i guess coming up next but what are, what are we breaking down today rohit what, what is it that we are discussing today we are breaking down well covid has already been broken down what do you mean by that when we when i say breaking down i think it's been demystified oh right, right. okay <laughs> and we haven't broken no we, we don't have a vaccine that's not what i mean that's what i'm right. saying we don't have a vaccine yeah we're on our way or, though uh, cautious, We're on way. cautiously optimistic. Yes, that's the right way to put it. Mm-hmm. But today we're we're breaking down how the universities and schools in general are responding to this uh, reopening because uh, August is approaching. We're already in August. We're, we're in August. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I'm still I'm still confident of time. I know I've been in college for a long time, but I'm, I'm alive. It's okay. It's okay. See. I, Whenever I get onto a meeting for DFA or the Design Journal, I'm asked like how my weekend was, and at this point, it's all a blur. Like, I think every day just kind of feels a little bit like the same. Like you're doing different things within the day, but the environment and the situation is kind of the same. So things just blend together, and I think it's just it's like Groundhog Day that's stuck in a lag, a perpetual lag. Perpetual. Like I think Groundhog Day was pretty laggy as it is. But yes, Rohit and I are breaking down. Um, how universities are approaching COVID-19. Rohit going to University of Houston, Houston being a hotspot now, but we well, both of us live in Houston, but Rohit going to UH, I'm going to UT Austin, which is reportedly the university with the most cases, according to the New York Times, which, by the way, UT tried to debunk via Twitter. But... <laughs> In case of, I guess, UH, we can start with you. 
Um, how do you think UH has been handling this situation in terms of communicating with the public, the public being, of course, the students? I think it handled it, in my opinion, I think it handled it quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the benefits that I guess U of H has is that it's mainly a commuter school. Right. Generally, you don't have that many people living on a campus. Again, you still do have a lot of people living there, but if you were to compare it to, say, UT or uh, UT Austin or Dallas or Rice or something like that, you got a lot more people living on campus. You know, I remember when the spring break occurred, I think, you, if I remember correctly, UH was the first school to sort of announce that uh, we're going to be extending the break for another week, and then mm-hmm. depending on how the situation is, we might do a complete online. And I think the switch to online was fairly swift. Right. Within a week, they had to, I mean, they had to convert many different classes to online. So I think mm-hmm. that went well. And then we've been getting updates throughout the semester, both from the chancellor and the provost. You know, well, the chancellor has been updating what the general policy is about grading and uh, tuition and all that. And the provost has been sort of detailing that more. Okay, well, uh, these are the instruction types for the upcoming semester. This is how your grade will be broken down. And this is what you need to do and so on and so forth. Right. And uh, so in my opinion, I think they've been responding quite well. Right. And again, I don't mean to be singling these universities out just because we go there. But the reason <laughs> I have is, again, because Houston is a hot spot. UT Austin, right, like yeah. I said earlier, um, does have the most reported cases out of any university in the country. So I think these are legit concerns and legit topics to bring up. Um, I know on on our end or on UT's end, communication has been a bit defensive, I think. I think that's mm-hmm. fair to say. Um the way we're going to break this down, I think the way I'm going to break it down is kind of going through UT's approach and the student approach. I'm going to read this right off the statement, the joint statement by, I believe, student government and UT Senate. I believe they released it just recently. But overall, the issue is that tuition is increasing by 2.6% to be exact. In the survey, about 90% of students indicated they were unsatisfied with the university's decision to maintain tuition rates the fall semester and about 40% of respondents mentioned tuition as a driving factor when considering taking fall 2020 semester off. Um, so I think to break this down, we, we've talked about the uh, New York Times report and how on Twitter, I do not know if they took it down because I tried looking for it, but UT Twitter tried to get a little bit defensive and I think the approach in which they did it was a little bit unprofessional and frankly slightly out of character with a university body tweeting back at the New York Times. They didn't just tweet back, they had a threat. I guess being from UT, a little bit embarrassing right there, but when I mean defensive, as I cited earlier, a lot of their statements have come from a place of like, oh, well, we're trying our best, right? Like, at least give us credit there. And I do understand finances being a concern and higher education always being the first thing that's cut in terms of the budget whenever um, the state economy isn't doing well, especially in Texas. I, I, I get that. But you also have to acknowledge the concerns of the student. 
And recently, it was about I think a week ago, UT released an article about a professor teaching online. So this this article like covers Professor Sam Gosling, which by the way, cool name, and he has I think a cool mustache. I think that's Sam Gosling. But um, they basically talk about like how he taught online and how well he did, and how virtual education doesn't mean it's worse than in person, um, which I think makes sense since government is taught online and it's one of the hottest classes on campus mainly because it's mandatory but i do think the professors do teach it well but in the end of the day a virtual setting isn't for everybody right like it's not for everybody like don't you see that as a problem yeah it's kind of problematic if you decide to go completely online some students aren't going to be able to catch up with it maybe they're not they don't have a speed of uh, strong of a wi-fi as they happen in school and so they have to go yeah. back, you know, they can attend the classes. And uh, if they can't attend the classes, they're not going to be able to take good in courses. And mm-hmm. For some, it might be their graduating semester. That means they'd have to do, delay their graduation by a semester. So going completely online, I'm not exactly sure if that's helpful for everyone. Right. And I think that's where splitting it up, like giving the choice to the professors, like what to do. Like, you know, you want to do, for, so for our university, what we're doing is, and I think this is something that, many universities are doing is that you have three options. You got the hybrid where you go to the university once a week and then the rest of it is spent online. The other one's called a synchronous online where you guys meet or the professor meets with the students once or twice a week. And then obviously the third op- the third option being the completely online. There's no meeting mm-hmm. with the professor, but you know, you'll either listen to recorded lectures or just read presentation notes. So I think given that that gives the flexibility so that way, you know, it's the best choice. It's not the ideal choice, obviously, but like it, it provides the flexibility for students. You know, there could be different. Right. But I, I do believe going online is still something that's necessary. My complaint isn't that we shouldn't be going online. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just that again, there's that concern that there is a 2.6% tuition increase. The education might not be as good or delivered as well. And the fact that, again, that, well, teaching online isn't for everyone. It isn't for every professor. Um, But my main concern is, again, where this article came from, the amount of backlash the university was getting for not, again, decreasing tuition because we're getting lesser um value or like the 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 value in education is decreasing and i think that approach that defensive approach and not acknowledging the concerns of the student is is not the best approach i believe they've given a breakdown as reason why what yeah yeah okay i mean even then i mean if you're trying to acknowledge the student concerns i think yeah you gotta have to acknowledge especially like right now where talk is that you know they should decrease the tuitions if you're going to go the other way around mm-hmm. be, you know, be, at least if you give a reason for it a compelling reason for it the tuition that rate makes sense. Uh, I think yeah right. being a little bit more transparent um, right. I'm looking at it from the university's perspective and I found a Texas X's uh, article uh, mm. this is by let, let me credit the author real quick this is by Kate McGee yes 
It's a great article. It's titled Looking at Higher Education Funding in Texas and How We Got Here. Long title, but no judgment. It's a great, great, catchy title. Uh, yeah. There could be a description, too. I think that could be a description also. But anyways, anyways, I totally lost the excerpt. Where to go? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> okay, so... The last thing I wanted to do was read directly from an article because I don't want to bore you, but I think I kind of need to because this article breaks it down really well. So I'm, I'm going to go off. Is that okay, Rohit? I'm just going to read quickly hey, from I'm this. Hey, I'm not from UT, so I don't mind. Hey, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so citing this article again, Kate McGee, shout out. The UT system receives funding from the Permanent University Fund, or PUF. We'll call it the POOF whose value comes from land leases on 2.1 million acres in West Texas oil. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so from the $21.8 billion, uh, a, ba- a payout called the Available University Fund is taken. The, we'll call it the OAF. Two-thirds of the OAF goes to the UT system, while one-third goes to A&M. 9% of UT Austin's $3 billion budget is made up of funds received from the OAF about $250 million. So the the PUF makes up the majority of UT system's $26 billion endowment fund. So I hope that broke it down. That wasn't just me just laying out numbers. If it was, then um, I'm, I am sorry. But I think it's something also to note because Rohit, we're not done yet. There's more, um, is that there's something called special items. And that's some, those are funds that are allocated outside of the what they call the funding formula. And that's basically allocated to research projects, new degrees, um, and that was attempted to be cut. So that's looking at like how the breakdown goes. Looks like a lot of money. It does. But a lot of that money that's given um, through the PUF, allocated through the AUF, is basically spread out to the various institutions within UT and administration. So then... They're very limited on the amount of money they have. So they have to then look into the funding from the government. And like I said earlier, whenever the state needs to make budget cuts, the first one they dig into is higher education. And that's evident in 2011 with the housing crisis. So looking like... 2008? No, 2011 was whenever they got the cuts. Oh, you mean the cuts up yeah, yeah. Point being is that, look, I think, I think we get it. I think a lot of people need to know more about this breakdown. But at the same time, you also have to acknowledge the concerns of the student. Yeah, I mean, if, if your audience is a student, right? If your, major, if, your, if your main customer base is a student, then yeah, obviously you want to acknowledge that. Right. Rohit being, <laughs> ring, being a, uh, a stats nerd, is that accurate? accurate title uh it's a bit of an overstatement i appreciate that level of uh <laughs> you know r- respect no but how do you think yeah, we're doing like how do you think america's doing how do you think texas is doing uh well every it's bad everywhere oh my gosh that's not promising it's <laughs> not promising i think you know when i think one of the things people tend to forget is that when the lockdown happened mm-hmm. the intention was not to reduce the case the intention was to sort of spread it out so that the hospitals aren't right. overwhelmed. we all i think they've already known that eventually everyone's going to get this 
Right. It's just that you want to have that sort of spaced out so that, you know, it doesn't like, it's not a snowball effect. Like one gets it, then five hundred, five thousand, mm-hmm. which I guess, I guess is what ended up happening now. But right. that was the original intention. But, uh, well, I'll tell you what I predicted. So when we did our Comet Corona initiative for a week and we, I did an update saying, well, here's the cases. Here's what yeah, you, you do like these formal stats reports. Yeah. Yeah, those yeah. promo stat reports. I predicted that, so I did that on March 21st. Mm-hmm. I predicted that in a month, so by April 21st, we're going to have 500,000 cases in America. The actual cases by April 21st, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, hit 2.597 million in in United States. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, do, you, do you think the issue was that we didn't, I guess, properly, I guess, predict our models as in the nation and properly predict our models or was it that we wasn't we we wasn't huh we weren't anticipating i guess us to kind of not give a shit as much as we should have that's generalization i know but based on how things are going with the anti-mask movement it has decreased in the past month a little bit but do you think we basically didn't factor in human error enough no i mean if anything i think the models predicted quite fair and square right i mean they 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 predicted this this was they see the thing is we can't predict the exact numbers because this way those models adapt as new data come in yeah yeah whatever so you know obviously whatever predicted mm-hmm. a month ago might be different is different from what we're predicting now yeah but the, the fact still says that there's still a factor of exponential growth mm-hmm. right i mean when you go to even, two to even four, at this from, moment, even exactly. So when right. you go from two to four or four to sixteen, sixteen to you know thirty-two and all of that, it's not much, right? But mm-hmm. when you go from like five hundred twelve to ten twenty-four, then like twenty forty-eight, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. so I think it's not. I don't think it's that we didn't. The models were wrong. They were accurate for the data mm-hmm. that was available at that time. Right. I think it's that we underestimated the power of exponential growth. Right. Like you, like five hundred thousand. You you saw in news articles like ten days ago we were at two hundred thousand. Now we're at five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. That's exponential growth. That's what. Yeah. Happened. And 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 the idea that we're just testing more. I mean, sure we are, but deaths are still going up. And they're still yeah, I mean, I don't think testing solves anything. You, you just know that you have COVID. Yeah, and, and first of all, that argument in itself is <laughs> stupid. But now, that's the argument the Trump administration is going off of. Oh, yeah? Yeah, was, you know, we're testing more. So because we test, that means that we're going to get more results. Well, yeah, no, no shit, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, read that. Yeah. I think breaking this all down, when it comes to at least COVID-19 in the way I think we've been approaching it initially and possibly even now it's been a little bit nonchalant. And again, when I mean we, I don't think like everybody. Uh, the frustration is that for about two, three months, Americans or a lot of America try to do their job. They try to stay inside. They try to quarantine themselves. And they're getting a little bit restless seeing that other, didn't, other people didn't do their job. And they want to have a social life. I'm not making it an excuse. I'm just saying that 
in some way I can understand why it's frustrating that Americans did try and do the job of staying inside and combating this as much as possible, as quickly as possible, while others didn't. I think the over I think that's been the overall message from a lot of institutions, so I'm bringing it back to I think UT, not just because again it's my college, but it has the highest case for university in the country. And that is that the approach of being defensive about this is not going to solve the issue. The approach of saying like, hey, hey, we're trying. Like that's, that's not good enough, right? And they need to be a little bit more clear on their message on how things are going to go and not just be a little snaky about it because that's what the message from at least UT has been at this point. Yeah, I mean, instead of just saying, you know, hey, you know, we're trying, being truthful about it or being honest about it is much, I think, is much better. It's like, you know, instead of saying, hey, you know, well, we're trying our best, you say that, look, this is a disease that, you know, we're learning more about it as time goes. And as time goes, we're adopting our, uh, adapting our policy mm-hmm. according to the changes. We don't know, we can't provide you the perfect solution, but we'll definitely do our best to protect our students right. and our faculty. Right. I mean, putting it that way is much mm-hmm. you know, better. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, not, not everyone could do the best job. This is a virus that's never existed before. It's a you can, I mean, you can try virus. your best, right? Like some things are yeah, inevitable, yeah. but you can at least try your best. And I don't think we've been getting that. We haven't been getting people's best, or at least not people's, but like, the administration's best, whether it's from a local level or a national level. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. you can't have the ideal situation, but mm-hmm. you can always try for it. And, and it's interesting to see the precautions that were taken in spring semester aren't mm-hmm. being mimicked this fall semester. Because like spring semester, you have one case on campus, it's over. It's over. Like we didn't even have one case and we were heading back, right? Now there was a report that basically insinuated that, well, if a student dies, then then we'll close it down. Like that's the extreme. And, yeah, and that's, what, that's what I'm talking about messaging, like messaging, messaging this entire thing. They're not, they're not I think, they're, pro- they're approaching it from a very bureaucratic standpoint. Okay, well, thanks for joining me, Rohit, on uh, yes, breaking sir. down the... We're, I guess the pulp. We'll we'll figure out the name. Right. Um, we'll, yeah, we'll 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 work on that. Yeah, we'll we'll get to it in about one to two business hours. Um, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So now on to the other Rohit. How are you doing, Barcello? How's it going, and how's it moving? I'm doing pretty good, Neil. Hope you're doing good as well. Back to school in um in like three days now. So. Ooh, um, wait, really? Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, so I'm moving in. So I'm going to do like a two-phase move-in um, mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday because I have, you know, a fair amount of stuff to bring. So Sunday night I moved right. in, and then semester starts. Are you know. excited? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I feel like this summer felt longer. I think it felt longer for everybody for obvious reasons. Yeah. A lot of us were, were at home, you know, um, practicing safety measures. So it felt longer. It didn't feel unfulfilling, though. Really? How yeah. so? Yeah. I was, you know, I was working. I was interning yeah. for a little bit, so I was doing cool work there. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lot of time to myself just to like, read and, um, you know, work out, like do, do things to improve myself that I probably wouldn't be doing otherwise if I had free reign to do anything. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's understandable. And I think the reason the summer felt long was because it was kind of an attachment to the two months we got staying home. Mm-hmm. So really summer or summer break, quote unquote, really felt like 
think six months about or five months really because yeah. it was just us staying home and we associate home at this point as the summer break portion of right. the year and it was i guess just for us it felt a lot more long so yeah, for I think sure kind of being able to separate time that way was kind of difficult it was because so. a lot of us see this as um, like when you go back home sometimes you fall into the old self mentality like the mentality mm -hmm. that you had when you were a younger person when you were, yeah. when you were attending school at home so um, it's easy to fall back into that and then since a lot of people were you know staying in college and having to, or or they had to come back home early from college and they were taking classes from home so they were at home um, or they were mm -hmm. uh, isolated inside of a building for a while, but they had to continue to be productive because they had their classes yeah. going on. It created a very strange skew of the mind. They're like, I'm here and I have the, the, the mentality of the, the yeah. old times, but now I have to actually apply myself a lot more than I probably would during the summer. It, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a little bit jarring, jarring for me a little bit. But Excellent. we are here because something, uh, pretty big announcement, pretty big announcement. Mm -hmm possibly of the political nature, and that is that the Fiesta potatoes from Taco Bell were canceled. Oh, and no. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I've done some research, and the research basically led to no result, so I can't really figure out why they were canceled. Have you looked into it? I didn't look into it. All I knew is that every vegetarian person that loves Taco Bell felt so betrayed by the announcement because people... Yeah items there and i don't go to talk about that often this is all from people telling me but i can just imagine it's kind of sad i used have to you, have wait better. so have you ever had them yeah i've been a few times but it's not like my fast food of choice so i'll right. only go when people take me to taco bell and i know very little about their menu or anything but i did have the potato stuff one time you know it's good it like a potato it, it had meat in it too but you know like i was into it it tasted good i don't know yeah. why I, it. I i grew up on them like every time we went to taco bell that was like the one thing requested from my family yeah. It was like McDonald's, we would get the fries, and Taco mm -hmm. Bell, we'd get the Fiesta potatoes. Yeah. So quite quite a loss there, but we'll bounce back. We'll, we will bounce back. We will bounce back. Life is but, all about trials and growth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was it a trivial topic like Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> like Taco Bell. Yeah. Uh, but in other news, mm -hmm. Vice President Kamala Harris, Vice or President possible Kamala Vice Harris. President Kamala Harris. How are we feeling about that, Rohit? You know, um, she wasn't my first pick. I'll be honest. I think was she was. She, was she your second pick? She was not my second pick. Was she either. your third pick? You know, going down to the third <laughs> pick. <laughs> it's you know, I I wasn't closely following this. I do right. this thing where I, I and and you know this. I bounce in and out of political and uh, uh, not involvement in and out of political um, like levels of of informants. Sometimes you know I get fatigued. Is that a word? Is informants a word? You know, it's a word. I don't know if I used it right. I bounce between being politically informed and a little bit removed because. Um, I'll, I'll go like three months on, be really engaged, and then be a little tired, focus on right. other things. You know, so, what I've, you know what I've learned about mm -hmm. words, though? What's um, that? This is totally going off of it. <laughs> 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 uh, they're just like noises that we're associating with things. So who's here to tell us what a word is and isn't? I know. And, what... and, you know, if we use a word that's not a word for long enough, it becomes a word. You can create words. It happens all the time. Yeah, like swag. Seen. Swag wasn't in the dictionary for some time right yeah swag i think it was an acronym at first stuff we all get that was just swag you got from events and things like that oh, right right yeah like... and then i don't know if like the swag we we talk about now is the same swag as from then yeah sorry back to vp back to thing. but yeah, yeah so i i was i was relatively uninformed i couldn't go as far as my third choice all i know mm -hmm. is that i wasn't a huge fan of kamala when the whole host of democratic candidates were 
campaigning. Right. So I wasn't really in favor of, of her being the, the pick. I'm not terribly surprised. I, th I know she was on the list, and I know Biden was having a really difficult time. Um, or or he, it was a very involved process of vetting um, yeah. the candidates. I, there was an interview with Susan Rice where she was kind of explaining her experience with the vetting process. She said it was very involved, very professional, and painful, um, but more like painstaking, painstaking in the, in, the, in the sense that it was just such a thorough process. So mm -hmm. I think um, whether or not we agree with Kamala having been chosen, I think Biden, from what people are saying, was very sure that he wanted her because yeah. they spent a long time mm -hmm. making the decision. So I think it's up to us to stand by it now. Whether or yeah. not we agree with it, it, it's about the issues and the policy at, at the right. forefront. So yeah, I'm going to stand behind them for sure. And yeah. uh, of course, I would have wished for better, but or different. I shouldn't say better as a personal preference. I wish would have wished for different, but you know, we, we take this now and we analyze it and we keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree there. And I think this is a ticket. The Biden Harris ticket uh -huh. is the ticket that we all are going to have to get behind and support as much mm -hmm. as possible. But that does not mean that we have to completely stow away our concerns because right. that has been the message the past couple of days. You're either with mm -hmm. it or you're not. And if you're not with it, then you might as well be on the other side. And that binary thought process is part of what got us in this mess in the first place back in 2016. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that Biden's been in public service for the right reason. Because if mm -hmm. there's anything this campaign's running on, it's to bring empathy and kindness back to government. Two qualities, by the way, were already lacking in Congress mm -hmm. during the Obama administration. So mm -hmm. yeah. we talk about oftentimes Trump sometimes being the problem, but more than that, he's been riding the waves of it. And yeah. we need people who are willing to step into government and say this is not how things should be run mm. and in order for that to happen biden and harris have to firmly stand for something and the concern is, is that based on their track record as being part of the establishment they may not deliver on all of their promises which in that i also um i think disagree there mm -hmm. but i'm telling you man and like i've talked to folk who either have worked or work in D.C., whether it's through this podcast or yep. interacting with people on campus. Mm -hmm. And the majority of them see this thing as a game. They see public yeah. service as a game. Mm -hmm. And they see running for higher office as the next cool gig. Right. And we need people who are willing to walk in and shake that up and get rid of that mentality. I'm hoping that's Biden and Harris. And in the end of the day, we as a voters also have to make sure that they deliver on their promises because the buck doesn't stop at just voting. That's right. You, you have to, to make sure that you're putting a check on them. You're calling them out because yeah. like I've mentioned earlier to you, political apathy is the first step in having an inefficient government, the government that we complain about. Mm -hmm. and if you're politically apathetic, then you're not able to call out representatives on their bullshit. And we need people able to do that. So, I am hoping that Biden and Harris firmly stand for something to walk in and say that we need to shake things up. Yeah, yeah, so, that's the truth. 
What's comforting about um, having Biden and Kamala potentially being the next um, president and vice president is that they'll be actually responsive to criticism mm-hmm. and they'll be responsible. Like, we can hold them accountable to, I think, a pretty significant degree, right. whereas with Trump, there's no accountability. You can't complain as the entire population about something and have him listen because he's going to write it off as fake news or he's going to complain about people. And, and that's not that's not the case with with Biden and Kamala. They're professional politicians. They've been in the game for a while in various mm-hmm. different positions. And even if they stand strongly for something, if they realize that there's a public outcry for something to change, they will consider it and they'll pass right. it through all their advisors and they'll be way more responsive than what we have now. So you're mm-hmm. right. It's really important that we hold them responsible because we know that they'll um, they'll listen. And right. I think that's, yeah. And I think, and I think in the end of the day, they will. Um, and no matter what, whoever was going to be the nominee, mm. tr- the Trump campaign was going to make this a lesser of two evils campaign. Mm-hmm. No matter who won, if it was Elizabeth Warren, Andrew mm-hmm. Yang, I know you were a Yang gang. Yeah, I was a Yang ganger. Yeah. Um, gang, no matter who it was, they were going to make this a lesser of two evils argument. Yes. And at this point, if you want to take it down to that, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Like, yeah, it's there definitely is, not a legit threat at hand mm-hmm. and there's a problem very evident in which trump i don't even know if he knowingly does this it's he, always the topic of debate is this just how he is or is he right the master of social engineering i he is i don't he, know and i think that might be giving him a little bit too much credit like he, <laughs> yeah. he does employ authoritarian tendencies mm-hmm. yeah but but I do believe also his suppression of the mail-in voting, which we're going to get to soon, mm-hmm. yeah. that is something he's doing knowingly. And that is something I think his staffers are getting behind and telling him, like, you know, we need to press this thing and tell everybody that mail-in voting is fraudulent, mm-hmm. even though there's no proof to show that that is the case. Definitely not. It's very important, actually. But, um, yeah, it was interesting, too, seeing the contradictory response to Biden and Kamala Trump went out and said that they were um, way too liberal. They were radical and Mm -hmm. they were a bad choice. And then the RNC came out and said they're not progressive enough. And all the news outlets were saying this, and I I agree with them. There just isn't quite like they're just um, what's the term? People said it's like a scattershot of responses. They're just right Right. now scrambling to discredit the Biden Kamala decision, Mm -hmm. which shows that they have a lack of understanding of of what they're facing. And they also have a lack of plan. Mm -hmm. They seem flustered. And it could lead to their downfall if they don't get their acts together. Right. Yeah. And I think that's attributed to Trump's, he employs scare tactics all the time. So he says the first thing that comes to mind and he's trying to condition people's thinking and, and use yeah. the fear to, to turn potential swing voters against uh, Biden Kamala towards him. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree because you also have to remember this, there was this saying around 2016, the same people who voted Trump in are the same people who voted uh, Obama in, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you have to go for that swing vote. And I think he is failing on, I think, approaching them this in a very, I mean, educated manner. We know that, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, to get the moderate vote, like he, there is, it's basically the moderate vote is in question. And mm-hmm. there's a good chance they might go with Biden with 
the polls that are showing that, but also we have mm-hmm. to be wary of voter suppression because that is, I think, a concern as yeah, evident sure. in his statements and his thought process. Yeah. Yeah, no, I read somewhere, I don't have any facts to back this up, that... Um, Wait, <laughs> Wait. <laughs> should, I, should I even move forward with this? Or okay, gonna... I, I want to hear it, I want to hear it. Yeah, I'll just say it. I heard, I've, I've heard that Texas is blue, but there... Or I don't have any, like, evidence, but Texas right. is blue, but the voting record doesn't indicate that because of voter suppression. Yeah, so... Yeah. I looked at um, some polling data, and yeah. at this moment... It is 45% Trump, 44% Biden. So he's See. inching in. And if you look at Beto versus Cruz, the yeah. Senate run in 2018, I believe it was 50% Cruz, 48% Beto. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there is a good chance of um, Texas going blue. And I think at this point, it's being argued that Texas is a battleground state. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because Texas goes blue, it's going to be very difficult for Trump to win. It's going to be very difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, the argument that I heard was that it's been blue for a while. Just people don't vote or they're suppressed mm. from voting. A lot of right. people from low income brackets, literally, they don't, they can't vote because they have to be working. And it becomes very hard for them to vote because their polling location is so far out or they have to wait in these very long lines, you know, um, or, or, or libraries or polling locations will restrict their time. So that's inconvenient for yeah. People to vote. And um, people, I mean, there's the argument that this is intentional and it's very subtle. subtle. Oh, it's, yeah, we, we know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most I mean, of sometimes not even, it's, it's not even subtle. Like, you look sometimes at... Sometimes they're obvious. Yeah, how, like, the map is just gerrymandered. It's... Yes. Dude, there's this there's this um district. It's just, like, a thin line. It's, like, a little blob <laughs> and then a thin line to another blob. Like, why, like, you didn't go onto the map, okay, and start drawing the districts <laughs> and choose that just because it looked cool. That it's so obvious what that is. <laughs> it's like a, I don't know. I don't want see. I don't want to um, diminish the the intelligence of a kindergartner. But it's like if I were to like <laughs> at that at the age of five just go and start like creating my drawings on a map. That's what yeah. it would look like. You're like, look, Dad. I want to be a, a powerlifter when I grow up. So I'm drawing a barbell district because. <laughs> that's <what I'm> doing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of ridiculous, but yeah. Um, just back to, to Kamala and Biden for a second. There's positives and negatives that people are pointing out. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the positives for the Biden campaign that have been evident so far are the amount of money she's drawing in. She drew in, I think, $34 million on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, um, on Act Blue, which um, actually, see, I don't I don't know if it was Act Blue. She drew in $34 million and she this might be exclusive from that. She, they broke Act Blue's record for most donations in an hour. Once and yeah. then twice again later on. So she's bringing right. in a lot of um, monetary um, traction here, which is definitely a good thing for Biden. And I think it's because she, whether or not people agree with her politically or in terms of her policies, she speaks with a lot of conviction and a lot of passion. She like she clearly yeah. has a very clear goal. That is true. Yeah. Of ideals and people admire that about her. Sometimes Biden can seem wishy-washy. We both know this. He can. He can. Yeah. No, he can sound like he's. But sound, I think you could argue but, the same thing with Kamala Harris based on her stance. For, yes. Like her shifting stances for Medicare for all and various right. others. Yeah, her yeah. stances do shift. So if you look under the hood, then you realize that she isn't solid mm-hmm. as often as she thinks. But she has this really interesting way of projecting confidence. So if you're not really listening in, if you have the TV on in the background, you're cooking some food, you're listening to, to the news, you'll hear her and you'll hear her sounding very confident and like she knows what she's doing. And that can be a morale booster. Yeah. So, so there's, this is twofold. She's good for morale. But um, 
sometimes it, it might be be very easy for people to not dig deeper about her policies because they're confident. Right. Well, yeah. the the speech was streamed about yesterday. Yeah. On the Joe Biden YouTube channel. So the uh, Joe Biden YouTube channel. Joe like Biden and subscribe YouTube. for more content, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, he went first, of course, because you know he's the president or hopefully yep. did he bring and, her in as the last person as like a surprise thing even though he had already announced it no i don't think he did no i see no. i read about i didn't actually watch it i read about a, you know a play-by-play of it so. okay okay but she did okay so she, she so he he came in talked about why kamala is qualified and then mm-hmm. of course attacked trump um but his his breakdown of where trump is failing was actually pretty good his mm-hmm. response to covid19 overall and uh he said that uh i think there was a line that, that kind of stood out to me where he said, in reference to Kamala Harris, that she stood up for us and all, all of you should stand up for her. Mm-hmm. Kind of feeling like they were acknowledging why we were not, not the happiest about the selection. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was that line. And I think when Harris came in, her speech was like really good. Like we, you, yeah. you and I were talking about yeah. her... Um, ability to really connect with the american people through speech and i think Mm -hmm. for the most part she was able to do that she broke down her attack on trump uh handling of covid19 really well it was it was leader solid yeah it was it was a solid speech and then she said one line the past few years don't represent who we aspire to be or something along those lines Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. for me at least i just felt like that was kind of a foreign policy statement too basically Mm -hmm. like hey like we know we fucked up here but yeah. uh, Canada, we're coming back. <laughs> like, we <laughs> we'll want to be friends. <laughs> yeah, we want to be friends. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but overall, yeah, I thought the, I guess that that event went well. Just that they had some streaming issues. I believe oh, really? they're like, yeah, yeah, I think Biden's speech was cut, or something. That's, yeah, that's bad for Biden, man. I bet but, he said some cool things. Yeah, overall, I was, I would say, I was happy with both speeches. Of course, yeah. Harris really, um, hitting the nail on its head there. But yeah. how did you feel yeah. about it? I I felt pretty good overall. She mentions mm-hmm. that Trump inherited one of the greatest financial upturns and that he completely squandered it. I can't speak to that. I wasn't. I've been following the economy very often. But, I mean, that is uh, true. That is that true. is that is, is the truth. truth. Yeah. 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 And and in that sense, it's just another example of how she spoke facts and that she used them to tear down what Trump has been doing for a while. Facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ben Shapiro quote just turned it turned it on its Ben side. Shapiro. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, um, I thought that her conviction with statements like that was just very powerful. I think mm-hmm. did she also? I read somewhere um, again. I didn't watch the entire thing that she um, she spoke about Bo Bo Biden, Joe Biden's son. She that that was I think a campaign ad. That was a campaign ad. I, be- okay. I believe so. And in, in the campaign ad, she mm-hmm. had said she was good friends with him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, Moving away from the announcement speech, she she's connecting with Biden on a very personal level in that way. And they've mm-hmm. had disputes in the past, but they're both professional politicians and they're both willing to, I think, put negative past behind them for the good right. of the country or what they perceive to be as the good of the country. And for them to be connecting on something really personal for Biden like that, uh, I think it's a good sign that there's there's strong chemistry in their professional and political engagement. Yeah, it's, it, you know, my stance stays the exact same. I'm optimistic and... Um, Although it wasn't, you know, my, my ideal choice, I think yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of good here. There's a lot of good to be found, and there's a lot of good to be created. Um, this this could be seen as positive or negative, actually. Kamala Harris has a lot of um, footing with Silicon Valley and Wall Street. Silicon Valley because she's spent a lot of time um, 
you know, in California, in the tech sector, working with um, with companies, actually to ensure more privacy, more privacy right. um, agreements on on the, on the side of of companies that have app stores like Microsoft and Google. Mm -hmm. it, she she's very well acquainted with the tech sector, especially in Silicon Valley. But like I said earlier, she's fought for user privacy rules a lot. Yeah, she I saw that. Right. Yeah, yeah. She worked with six companies. Um, I don't think I have them up right now. There were six large companies. HP, mm -hmm. Microsoft was in there. Um, Facebook later joins the agreement that they made. I think she was a attorney general at the time. This is 2012. Right. He required all these large companies that had some form of an app store or a place where people could download apps. And mm -hmm. she required them to include privacy statements on every single app. And yeah. they agreed to it, which is, you know, it's groundbreaking for me. I'm like, a, you know, I, I do a lot of programming and I do a lot of, you know, I'm very involved with the technology. So yeah, I'm big on user we're, privacy. We're both, we're, we're both, um, both of us really. Both yeah, of us that, are people who are uh, um, at least approaching or seeking employment in the tech sector in the yeah. coming future. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So privacy is important to both of us as it is to a lot we of people. We had a discussion on this two days ago. Like we yeah, went off. We, yeah. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I didn't know this. I found this out very recently. I thought that was really mm -hmm. cool of her. Um, and I think it's interesting that she enforced those things. Another thing she did was she worked with Comcast. I think she brokered two deals with Comcast, basically um, finding, you know, get, reaching a settlement with them um, to, to punish them for making user data publicly available for people who subscribe to... Um, VoIP, um, what was it, a VoIP phone protocol plan that they were mm -hmm. providing. Like these are these are pretty significant security or user privacy measures that she's helping to create. Um, yeah. The tech sector still supports her. I think that just shows how much they respect her. They respect her conviction. Right, right. Yeah. And I think speaking of her record as a California attorney general, so yeah, Politico cited this that as a California Attorney General, general, her role in securing general in securing twenty five billion dollars settlement for California homeowners mm, during the yeah. financial crisis. Okay. Uh, yeah. She's also someone in the Senate who has strongly advocated for reinstating DACA. Mm -hmm. uh, think clearing things up as her tenure as a DA and AG. She, she stating she stated that the jailing of parents if children skip school did not occur under her time during DA, but she did try and instate that statewide in California. And okay. the arrests did happen during her attorney general tenure. Okay. Um, so I think just clearing that up, whatever I think people uh, are hazy on in terms of that area. Uh, she says her intent was not to, of course, jail parents. Um, right, right. But I think that was just a huge misstep. And characterizing it as a misstep is also um, just diminishing the severity of what occurred. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't think I, I, she did. No one intended that to happen, I believe. Mm -hmm. But it was just not I think, instated properly statewide. And mm -hmm. that is not me trying to side with her, I'm just, I think mm. that I'm still citing that as a failure on her end. Yeah. And the strongest thing, the strongest response for her would have been to take full account of full responsibility rather than characterizing it as a misstep. She should have said, I seriously messed up here. I'm going to do better in the future. Yeah. And because again, like, did. I don't think it was her intent. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we have no way of knowing, but we have to believe that she's yeah. not. Too That's true. Things. Like, again, 
I'm not trying to give her the benefit of the doubt in that right. scenario. Right. It's just that when you are a public servant and your reaction is like, oh, well, it didn't happen when I was DA, but it happened when she was attorney general. Mm. It feels like she's not taking responsibility for what occurred by saying, well, like, oh, well, I, you know, I didn't intend that. Like, yeah, that's yeah. not an excuse. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Um, but again, clearing up her policies right there, what she stood for, mm-hmm. uh, how she's been, I guess, going about things in the past, would you say 20, 20 years, 20, uh, 30 years? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I do believe that these are, like you said earlier, Biden, Harris are people who are willing to take in criticism, listen to the mm-hmm. people. Yeah. I just, again, do hope that they still firmly stand for something. I hope um, so. I yeah. hope so. What do you think about this argument that Biden's only going to be a one-term president and the reason Harris said yes was because she's going to be the next runner-up for um, president in possibly 2024? Yeah, I, I briefly heard about Biden saying that he'd be a one-term president and a transition president transition yeah actually that's what he said right he said he'd be kind of a a transition into the next era of of young upcoming people to to be to be you know to rise to the presidency that's right that's right um i don't know people seem very dissatisfied with kamala harris as it is i think it's unlikely the fact that she's attached to the biden campaign gives both her strength and it gives biden strength but i think her running on her own could fail just like it did last time if she doesn't significantly change how she approaches the presidency. I mean, yeah. it's not like she was, it, it wasn't her versus Biden and she lost out. She lost out much earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, I won't say, yeah, yeah, not much earlier. She lost out earlier than other candidates Yeah, because people were choosing people, they were choosing candidates besides her. So I think it's unlikely. I think it's unlikely that on her own, even after serving as vice president, that she would be able to gain traction unless she really shifts her approach to everything because the main complaint right now is that she has a really bad voting history and track record as as ag of um of california but do you think in 2024 again if that's the case if she does run based on what biden has stated as him being Mm -hmm. a transition president which you know you never know if the biden campaign backpedaled on that yeah but in 20, 2024, do you believe that the concern there will be her history as a DA and an AG, or will it be um, more so her, I guess, her tenure as vice president in those four or in the previous four years at that time? It's a really, that's a good question. So it depends on what she does. If she makes no splash at all and she takes a very backseat um, vice presidency, we know she won't. But if she does, yeah, she then yeah, her her AG record is going to be at the forefront of discussion. Mm-hmm. It, and then, then there's two other, um, you know, opposite sides here. I, I don't want to say it's black and white. There's two areas of concern. Then there's things she does well, things she doesn't do well. If she does mm-hmm. things very well, if she if she makes up for the bad decisions she's made in the past, and she helps usher in a lot of change as the vice president, positive change. Positive then change, right? People are going to be looking at that and perhaps forgiving her for her prior record. People change. People know they make mistakes. And we don't want to be giving her the benefit of the doubt, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're we're willing to accept accept change from people that wants want you know want to become better themselves. So we'll take it. We'll take it if she does that. I think then you're right. Then she could actually have a stronger chance than I was thinking. If she um, then there's the opposite of the end of the spectrum. If she does things that are considered harmful, or if she mm-hmm. does that impede positive change, then it'll just double down on her. 
as a negative cloud that's hanging over her 2024 campaign. She'll have right. AG stuff to worry about, and she'll have her mishandlings of various issues as Biden's VP to worry about. Yeah, if if yeah. of course the mishandlings take place, and of course if they do, whoever whoever again, this is still a massive hypothetical, but whoever yeah, everything's speculative, yeah, whoever right? they are running against, whether it be Biden or Harris, no matter what, mm-hmm. there's always spin on the current state of things like yeah. Romney tried to do in 2012. And well, Romney had a lot of shifting, I think stances yeah. too. That's a yeah. different story, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think overall it's time to gear up, get fired up, get ready to go. Get ready to go. Yeah. I really like that speech. I, I'm a huge I love fan it. of that speech. I love it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's time to start mobilizing and yes, sir. get people to vote. And vote, yes, of course, vote yourself. <laughs> yeah, vote yourself. You can vote if you know. I've heard people say that um, now that it's a Biden Kamala ticket, they're just gonna not gonna vote. Don't do that. <laughs> Still we we vote. know some of those people. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know some of those people, and I yeah. understand that. I really do understand where they're coming from. But just take a second and think about it. You you can still make the right choice here. It's not yeah. like um, it's not like they're both evils. Well, actually, hold on. Let me rephrase that. It's not like they're both so bad that if you choose one, you're damning the country forever. There's clearly, you know, a choice that you should make if you stand for for progressive issues. So, but so this this brings back to my earlier point that yeah. by not voting, you are giving into what the Trump administration wants. Because yeah. no matter what, they were going to make this lesser of two evils campaign, no matter who yes. was chosen. So. Yeah. The idea that, well, I'm not going to vote because they're both the same. First of all, I, I do not think that is the case. I do not okay. think they are the same. You may have your reservations mm-hmm. about Biden-Harris, but I do believe that they stand for very different things. Yes. So what you got to do is, if you're strongly opposed to Biden and Kamala, go to the polling place, vote for them, cry a single tear because you just went against your beliefs, but then reassure yourself you made the better choice if you're a progressive. And, but I, uh, again, I think in the end of the day, they're there to stand for our beliefs, right? At least I am hoping, are. cautiously yeah. optimistic. But yeah. like, I do believe at least that they're going to get in there, like you said, filter in that criticism mm-hmm. and approach it in the right way, not the way the current administration has been handling criticism. Yeah, for sure. Which is deflecting it completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just barrier. They're both humans and they'll, I think they'll frame what they think people want through their own lens. But that's better than having no lens at all or just a lens of complete, um, completely ignoring the people's wishes. Right. Yeah. And I think to go off of that, like we all had our preferences, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the people still did vote and they voted Biden in. Mm -hmm. They voted Biden as the nominee. That's right. So that's right. How are you feeling about Texas as a battleground state? We had briefly discussed it earlier mm. how, yeah. how are you feeling at this moment yeah texas is a state looking like it, uh. <laughs> texas is a state in the south of texas <laughs> wait south of the united states <laughs> wait no there aren't there not aren't south of the united texas. states it is in the united states south it of- is in the southern region of the united states there we go see this is the point where i'm like where are we going with this like yeah <laughs> <laughs> texas has a panhandle because that's what it looks like that's what they call it that was that was a great opening to like an ap lit essay how, how do you feel about texas battleground state you see texas is a state and a society <laughs> texas has societies within it <laughs> that is makes it a state 
they combine to create larger societies, which is the state. <laughs> yeah, <Texas>. so <laughs> of Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, Texas is looking like it's going to be a swing state, or not? A, sorry, a battleground state is this mm -hmm. is what we're talking about, um, because there's a lot of young people in Texas now. A lot of people come into Texas for professional reasons. They're searching mm -hmm. for careers. So Texas is a very diverse state, much more diverse than it gets a lot of credit for. I remember when I moved here from Minnesota when I was five years old, I thought it was deserts and like cowboys. And, right. you know, that's a really, that's like a five-year-old's like, you know, fantasy lands imagine how they imagine Texas. But I, I don't think, a lot think of people, it's just a five-year-old's. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot yeah. of people view it in that way, maybe not to the degree of like, there's like you know, lizards, right. like cacti, but they view Texas as what people used to perceive Texas as, a very conservative place where people have a very a uniform set of values but no like texas has a, a booming economy because we bring in people from all over the country really from all over the world to a certain degree and it's very diverse it's yeah cities like houston especially um mm -hmm. austin a lot of the metropolitan cities because of that i think that um texas has a lot of potential to be a state where you know both both um, red and blue visions are, are being are being seen yeah and yeah. this was said on an interview with Seth Meyers, Jake Tapper said this, yeah. where it was like, you, you don't expect, like, like you don't expect California to go red, you don't expect Texas to go blue, right? And yeah. I'm like, you see, well, that's the problem right there. Uh huh. You know, it's that, yeah, maybe some folk don't see Texas strictly as just cowboys in desert and cacti yeah. cactus or cacti, cacti. to be plural. <laughs> um, but the stereotype is what pushes people away. And what I've always appreciated about the state, what I love about the state, is mm -hmm. the various ideas that come together to make something great. Yeah. And yeah. there are so many, think, intelligent, smart people in the state that I've encountered in, my, in the last, I think, 13 years living here. I've grown up here. Mm. Yeah. And it's, I think people don't, people underestimate on how diverse it is. Diverse in its people and its thought and yes, that diversity is important in making decisions if you just have a homogenous set of ideals then mm -hmm. sometimes that can itself be problematic mm -hmm. you need conflicting ideals you need that collaboration to result in the best possible process or solution so mm -hmm. i think again i get annoyed when politicians and pundits look at Texas and they're like, oh, well, it's probably going to go red. Why bother? Right. When in reality, living in Texas, that's not the feeling. That's not the case. Yeah, you definitely know? not. So, yeah. and if anything, don't underestimate Texas, right? That That's my thing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, a great absolutely. state that a lot of people tend to underestimate and stereotype. And that is not fair because that is not the case. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a lot of boiling desire for progressive change especially with young people in texas mm -hmm. and it's starting to boil over so it's starting to gain a lot of traction because a lot of the people like you know this was like a lot of us in high school were were starting to become politically involved and we just realized that we were very interested in progressive ideals now we're older mm -hmm. now we're you know in a position where we can be more active politically active and we're going right. to continue to grow and we're going to start to gain a serious foothold in politics but also in society so the change i think is coming and right. I think it's just a matter of when it finally emerges as the very obvious way that Texas functions. I think it's here. I yeah. I, I think it's here at this moment. You think it's November? If it's look, in like we have to mobilize and mm -hmm. we have to go vote. Yeah. 
but at the same time, I think the thought process is already here and it's in development. And yeah, like, like I said earlier, it's also that ability to reach out to others, to talk to others, right? Mm. Not approach it in a condescending manner that I'm right, you're wrong. Because yeah. again, that is what got us in this mess back in 2016. The idea yeah. that I'm right, you're stupid, and if you mm. don't agree with me, then get out. Because even at this moment, at this mm. moment, I yeah. have friends who support Trump. Yeah, and me as well. I am willing to talk to them and not mm. tell them why they are wrong necessarily, but tell them mm. at least why we think, we think things should be this way and where we think Trump is going wrong, which again, on various things. But yeah. you have to approach the conversation not in a condescending manner because right. I still believe at this moment that you could have conflicting ideals and still get along with another and still acknowledge that the other person mm. is a decent human being. Yeah. And, and, and they are, you know, our friends. So I think I know some of the friends that you're talking about that, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're both decent people. They're also very smart people. I right. think they when you grow up on a belief, it just becomes ingrained in you. Sometimes that's just what you believe in and you don't know why, but you were raised that way. I think right. there's the statistic that most people, um, or people tend to align with their parents' political yeah, beliefs. But, They're growing up around that their entire lives. And, and, so and, you have to be empathetic and understand mm -hmm. where you're coming from. Yeah, and, and the, like I said, that quality, that ability mm -hmm. to discuss with another, that's the thing, part of what makes Texas great is carrying out discussions like that yeah. and not just seeing things as one-sided. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. And a lot of people get really passionate about mm -hmm. their beliefs. Um, mm -hmm. And the passion is understandable and important. You should be very passionate about things because there's a lot of really fucked up stuff that's happening. Right. But um, if you respond mm -hmm. with anger immediately, then the people that are doing bad things, sometimes they're unwittingly supporting bad things. They're not going to be responsive because they're going to write you off as some angry, you know, del delirious person. You have to come in with facts, conviction, and understanding. Mm -hmm. And slowly, slowly get people to understand yourself after you understand them. Yeah, exactly. Know, human relations 101. Uh, and, and maybe, and, yeah, what's up? No, sorry, sorry. Complete your thought. Oh, yeah, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, honest, actually, just go ahead. I didn't. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> I was, uh, was going to reiterate something. Um, right. But, I, I've, I've said it already. Yeah, okay. Okay. I was yeah. just going to say, you know, the Texas food is also so fucking good. <laughs> hey, dude, Texas food, Texas food slaps, okay? Texas food's so good. It's I so great. The, the barbecue yeah. and also, I think, again, the, it's, it's just beyond barbecue, barbecue too. Like yeah. Houston is a cultural, cultural bowl. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> a cultural bowl. <laughs> cultural bowl. Hey. Houston is a salad full of people. <laughs> Each people, all the people are unique. It's a very flavorful salad. <laughs> um, but yeah, the food again, just beyond barbecue also. Love me some yeah. barbecue, but like yeah. Houston is a food hotspot. Um, yeah. I, I associate Houston with, and yeah, as, as like a crossroads of a lot of cultural cuisine. Yes. A lot of intercultural that's cuisine. Best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, good job. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I love I love Houston for that. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about food in Texas, I think both about traditional Texas food, but also about um, food from people mm -hmm. of different cultures. Like that's something that comes to mind immediately because when you're up in Houston, that's that's what it is, you know. Yeah. We have seen Trump on numerous times tweet about mail in voting being mm -hmm an issue how it's gonna be fraudulent when he himself has voted via mail 
mail-in yes. voting is not new. It's it can be dated as far as back as the Civil War. Yeah. So my concern with that, I think, I'm trying to break it down, but it's, there's not really anything to break down other than that there is no proof that mail-in voting does not work other than him just trying to once again suppress the vote, knowing that there's a good chance that he's not winning this. Yeah, like, it's, it's very clearly just him him just trying. <laughs> he's, mm-hmm. he's just trying. <laughs> he's taking his chances on criticizing mail-in voting. Like, mail-in voting is a really important aspect of the voting process because like i said earlier a lot of people can't go vote they have to work it's really important that they get of course at this moment you have covid19 and having all those lines is just not the best idea yeah definitely not mail-in voting is going to be really big this year because people won't be able to leave their house they're not going to feel comfortable doing it and in most cases they shouldn't be going to large crowds so and you know on top of that too i don't know if he mentioned you know elders them voting by mail but mm-hmm. most i think people over 65 are qualified for mail-in voting in their own place of residence i mean these people but also people. if you have pre-existing conditions and yeah covid 19 is something that can affect you greatly and you want to vote you want to participate in the process then i yeah. think mailing voting mail-in voting is necessary it's yeah it's completely necessary just for many different groups of people and you know it should it's it's a staple and it should continue to be a staple so yeah it's a baseless claim that he's saying that um Mm -hmm. that that it's it can be harmful what exactly was he saying actually what how was he saying that it's a bad that's a bad thing was he saying that it's it's fraudulent you said that's it yeah like he He just said said the same like it's fraudulent it's bad yeah he he, no no backing whatsoever apparently he with held aid to michigan and nevada for issuing oh. mail-in ballots oh oh no yeah so yeah again authoritarian measures right there and this yeah. is just clear sign like clear signs that he is trying to suppress the vote and it's not a hard process either i think it could be a little bit more streamlined but all you have to do is um submit your application to your local office mm-hmm. the instructions are online for each state and then they'll send you the ballot by mail like i did mine you know a few weeks ago Anybody right. can do it. It's very easy. And, you know, provided that USPS can keep up with the amount of ballots that are being sent around considering COVID-19, it should be a very smooth process. The problem is I don't know if they're going to be getting the funding they need to facilitate mm-hmm. mail-in voting. That was a big question, I think, because they're going to have a huge influx of ballots. And are they going to be able to get them where they need to go in time? Hopefully, right. yes, but they'll need government backing. Mm-hmm. And I'm really hoping the Trump administration doesn't stunt that. <laughs> like, we know, like, oh God, oh we no. know the answer to that we know the answer to that yeah uh, yeah that's the thing i think mail-in voting could improve a little bit simply by allowing you to register for a mail-in ballot online mm-hmm. that would just reduce the amount of time to get the ballot a little bit right because right now you have to mail your application to the office they have to approve it and then mail you back your i think like a, a certificate that says you're good and then they'll mail you the ballot later on if you know and and this this is they probably aren't doing this because of, of security um internet security that is but making you know like automating and using technology to facilitate the political process especially with voting is the move for the future because it's going to make things so much easier on people that can't vote normally don't have the time don't have the ability um but you know the, the challenge they have to tackle is making sure that the systems that are handling 
that they're secure. Yeah, yeah. handling the, the, the vaults are very secure to and avoid that, real fraud. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, actual fraud. And uh, so, so I guess <laughs> yeah. a parting message is go buy a marketer pro projection, as you can see. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I, I forgot. That's there. <laughs> yeah, behind yeah. Rohit, for those listening to the audio version Do of it, this, guys. behind Rohit is a marketer pro projection. Yeah, another parting word is that lemonades, the Girl Scout cookies, in my opinion, are better than um, Thin Mints, and everybody should believe that. I've never had the lemonade one, but I love never Thin Mints. I love Thin Dude, Mints. Yeah. Thin Mints are good, but lemonades kill it. Lemonades yeah. are fantastic. Great. Love lemonades. Great. I need, I need to have yes, some. Sir. Well, thank yeah. you for joining me, Rohit. I hope you have a great, beautiful yeah, semester. For um, sure. We'll we're do. acting like we're not going to talk for like another month. Um, <laughs> we we yeah. talk like once yeah, a week so <laughs> we'll, we'll see each other pretty soon here pretty yeah. soon um yep but all right yeah keep keep the juice going um, yeah keep the juice going go vote guys go drink drink mango juice also drink uh, mango juice i got some mango juice downstairs you I'm did drink it. i, sh I should have yeah. drank mango juice in the spirit of this because usually i provide yeah for my guest but mm -hmm. you know we're not in person because of covid19 right. yes um, so next time in the spirit of it i will i will drink the juice